come to the end of 2020, many of us are feeling drained. From constantly worrying about coronavirus, to missing our loved ones, to figuring out working from home, we need to talk about the toll that this year has had on our mental health. This week, I talked to Bram Troost, Customer Relationship Manager and Qualified Mental Health First Aider at Colt, about protecting your mental health whilst working from home and spotting the signs that a co-worker might be struggling. I also talked to Gavid Richardson and Hayley Dare, co-founders of Wellbeing Mental Health, an organisation that delivers learning programmes on mental health to businesses. My conversation with Hayley and Gavin revolves around the whys and hows of mental health and what to do if you're not feeling so festive this year. And of course, all three of our guests share a surprising fact about themselves. Let's get the full picture. So Bram, the full picture is all about bringing your whole self to work. And it might sound like such an obvious thing, but sometimes we do feel like we need to be two separate people, our personal home self and our business self. But why do you think bringing your whole self to work is so important? Well, I believe that being uh, being one of the uh, CRM community uh, guys right now, it's, it's, it's bringing your whole self to, to the uh, company is, is really important. I mean, you have to be yourself you have to be truthful and people need to trust you and uh you can only do this while being yourself within the company a part of bringing your whole self to work is talking about your feelings but unfortunately men tend to struggle a bit more than women to do that and being a man yourself (laughs) um why do you think that is well it's still it's still it's one of our ultimate goals as well as uh, as mental health first aiders i mean the, the 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 thing is is that we want to reduce the stigma attached to mental health uh, especially for 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 men in this case, uh, but also for for women. I mean, it's still uh, a little bit hush hush to talk about this and talk about your feelings on the on the work floor. Uh, but we want to uh, let people come uh, come forward easier and ask for help when they whenever they need it. I personally have been through something that I think has really made me struggle with my mental health. Um, Last year, I unfortunately lost my dad to cancer. And for so long, I've been very open with talking about my feelings. And I feel like I've always been quite strong with my mental health. But I suddenly started to realize I started to feel a bit of shame. And I was ashamed if I wasn't feeling a certain way. I mean, it's such a huge thing to lose a father or any parent or anybody in your family. And if I wasn't having a day where I wasn't crying or I was feeling happy I would almost punish myself for that and I found that really bad and and wrong and when I took a step back I realized that we shouldn't be punishing ourselves for feeling certain ways what advice would you give obviously having studied mental health for people who are going through similar things and who can't who feel like they have to feel a certain way to almost be grieving or or to feel upset and and can't let themselves feel happy well First things first, uh, sorry to hear about your dad. Um, secondly, the, the good that you're that you're talking about this, this I mean, this is the most important thing that we're uh, that we're discussing. It's good to talk with somebody else to uh, to to express your feelings with them and to see whatever uh, whatever they can help you out with. But also, it's uh, it's good that if you're noticing that some shame is coming or that there's things that you're not able to come out of. Uh, try to try to go to your doctor. Tell them uh, about what uh, what is going to happen, what is happening with you internally, and and try to find some sort of a, a either way a, a solution or just get it off your chest. I mean, mm. that's the best thing. 
Yeah, I think it is so important to talk about it. And I've felt I've learned that throughout my process. And, and I think stop feeling that shame that is so important, because you shouldn't be ashamed of how you're feeling. What you're feeling is natural, whether you're feeling happiness or sadness, like that's how you are. And you shouldn't like feel ashamed of that and, and think that, oh, I should look at the people around me and they're acting a certain way. And I should be like that, because everybody is an individual. And we've all got different brains and different systems. And we all think differently but people who are struggling with mental health it is so difficult to tell the signs I think and speaking with people as you said is such an important way of getting it off your chest and really coping with that mental health what are the telling signs that someone is struggling with their mental health and how would you advise that people address it without making the person feel uncomfortable well, the, the the first thing that you'll notice is if there's in uh, if they're working in a, in a Teams meeting or or a Zoom meeting, uh, you'll probably see that the either the camera shut off or they're on mute. They're not saying that much, and if they're saying, they're saying like just a couple of words. Um, either if you're if you're working in the office, you'll see them walking with their head down, with their shoulders their shoulders down, like a little bit hunched over. Uh, they don't look at you. Do they have a little bit of a stressy like type of walk? There's a couple of things that uh, that that can happen and that 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 are telltale signs. Uh, the thing that you can do at that point is is either come up to them and just just start a conversation. Just how are you doing and what's going on and uh, do you want to go for coffee or just the, the really easy approachable things and just ask them how they're feeling or how they're doing. That's, that's the, one of the, the I mean, the, the, that's the primary thing that you can do, but for uh, someone that is experiencing that kind of trauma or, or, or some stress or depression for them, it's going to be uh, an open door and you might be able to, to, to wake something up within them that, uh, that might help them out in the, in the future. Yeah. And just letting them know that you're there when they're ready to talk, because I think sometimes when people do struggle with mental health, they struggle to open up. And if they feel almost attacked by somebody going up, going, let me help you. What's wrong? They might close away and and not want to open up. But I think talking about your feelings at work is so important, as you said, like being there, having that support system and bringing your whole self. I think it is so great what Colt are doing. And you briefly mentioned previously that you started the Mental Health First Aiders group. Can you tell us a bit more about this, what the group does and how you got involved? Okay, so what happened is that uh, during the Mental Health Awareness Week in uh, in somewhere in May 2019, uh, there was a, a cross call to celebrate this uh, amongst uh, a lot of other weeks every year. And uh, there was a lot of interest in this topic every year. Um, and uh, lots of people wanted to contribute blogs. Um, but this uh alarmed us a little bit like okay this is interesting we we might be able to do something with this and um uh one of our leaders uh, met, uh rachel collins and uh dolores curry they came across and talked about this and they uh agreed that they wanted to roll this out in the uk but after a, a little while they they, they were uh, i mean they were talking about having this for a global thing because, I mean, it's not only the UK that is struggling with mental health; it's it's the entire world at the moment. Um, so they they started up to uh, to get uh, the MHFA program within Colt, 
And um, at this point, we have uh, 62 trained people, uh, trained MHFAs uh, on a global scale. And we were trained by Dr. Haley Dare and uh, Mr. Gavin, Gavin Richardson uh, for about 12 hours within four days. And uh, yeah, they, they were the course leads and they're awesome people to work with. And they, uh, they gave us a, 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 a short, I mean, short is 12 hours, but they get, still gave us a, a, a relatively short course. I was going to uh, say 12 hours isn't that short. <laughs> if it's done in one day, that's pretty intense. But yeah. I'm guessing it was spread out. <laughs> yeah, it was spread out in four days. So it was okay. Oh, okay. But, uh, but, but uh, I mean, we're, we, were, we were trained on, on how to, to, to show the, the telltale signs. So how to, how to see them. Uh, how to use TED, so which uh, which means tell me, explain to me, describe to me, um, and also to 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 use LG. It's another acronym within the MHFA community, which is uh, the A for approach, then listen uh, and communicate, uh, give support, encourage to get help, and encourage other supports. So and the other supports might be uh, going to a physician or a psychologist or yeah, whatever is necessary to to assist. Uh, the employees with uh, that that are in need of dire help. Haley, you've had a pretty impressive career so far, being a consultant clinical psychologist. And I'm not going to list off your whole CV, but you've worked with some of the most dangerous individuals of the last forty years. You've worked in family courts. And you're working for the DCMS investigating reality TV such as Love Island and Jeremy Kyle. So I'm pretty sure you've seen it all when it comes to mental health. But how do you stop yourself from getting too invested or overwhelmed by people's stories and decompartmentalizing yourself? So um, t- to me, it's really important to get the balance right. Um, so I've always very much believed that if um, I um, ever stop being moved by uh, individuals' accounts um, or the you know the field of mental health, then that's um, certainly a time that I need to to leave the field. Um, because whilst I don't want to get overwhelmed by uh, individuals' um, stories or difficulties, um, I also don't I don't want to lose um, my empathy or my my um, I guess humanity. Um, so it's about having uh, the right balance. So I have my my own coping strategies um, about how I, how I deal with that. Um, I've got an amazing um, network around me um, of very um, close people in my life, um, so family members, um, my uh, best friend. Um, I've got um, really important people in my life who um, who I can turn to, who I can talk to. Um, I have my own supervision structure. Um, and I also have um, my own mental health um, toolkit. So I have um, exercise that I use uh, as a way to keep myself uh, mentally healthy. Um, I use laughter an awful lot uh, because that's a really important strategy for me. Um, so there's lots of um, things that I weave into my everyday life, um, which we talk about uh, very much. So I practice what I preach. We use mental hygiene a lot. Um, and I weave those into my own daily strategy um, to help ensure that I stay mentally healthy too, um, because we can all have our ups and uh, downs in everyday life. Um, and I'm no different to anybody else. So um, I can struggle too. 
So it's really mm. important that I apply uh, the same tools and techniques that um, we very much talk about in, in the work that we do. I love the fact that you use laughter as therapy. I have heard that laughter helps you get a six pack. I mean, I've been trying my whole life and I still haven't got one. <laughs> but it's a good it's a good form of exercise, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's brilliant because um, it releases endorphins into our brains. Um, yeah. and really, um, so that's one of our really good feel-good neurochemicals. Um, so um, laughter, uh, you know, they talk about laughter being the best medicine. Um, well, it's mm. true. And there's so many of these um, old tales that we use and, and there is scientific evidence behind them yeah people are doing that like laughter yoga at the moment aren't they and it does it when you're laughing and when you're smiling it makes you feel so much better and it is really contagious like you can't help but laugh if somebody else is laughing um, but I, I do think that's really important what you said to just decompartmentalize yourself and, and leave your work at work and when you come home it be separate and I guess that is very difficult at the moment because a lot of people are working from home and aren't able to just leave it at the door and come home and just kind of start afresh and enjoy their time with their family so what advice would you give to people who are working from home and might be struggling to bring their work life into their personal life? So um, there's a there's a few key things that people can do. Boundaries is one of them so whilst so many of us are working from home we can um, try and ensure that we put some boundaries around our work life and our home life. Um, so for example, when we start our working day in the morning, um, before we actually open our laptops, wherever those laptops may be, whether it's in the kitchen, it might be a part of our bedrooms, it might be in our lounge, for example. But before we do that, once we get up and, and get dressed, um, one of the things that so many of us have lost is that commute to work well we can still get up we can go outside our front door we can walk around the block and then we can come back in through our front door and then we can open our laptops well there's a real reason why we should be doing that because first of all it's drawing that sort of separation between you know I've, I've got up and I've um, set that boundary between that's my home and now I'm going into my working mode but also it gives us that little bit of incidental exercise first thing in the morning so we get a little um, boost of, of going out we start um, our neurochemicals um, off in our brain so we get a little bit of endorphins going on um, we will start to burn up those bits of cortisol that's our stress hormone going on um, we'll get a, a nice you know particularly when the morning starts to get a little bit lighter we get a little bit of serotonin going on and that sets a real good tone to the start of the day and we can also do that at the end of the day when we finish our work so we close our laptops then and that sort of creates that psychological um, barrier that boundary to the end of the working day and we end our working day in the same way so we then we go out the front door we walk around the block and then we walk back in to home it then becomes home again so it is about creating those those little boundaries and it is those small little things that we can do throughout our way uh, our working day to try and differentiate between this is home now and I finished work so we do need to put our work laptops away when we finished work we need to particularly as we're coming up to Christmas now the festive time of year we need to try and um, spend a few days where we haven't got piles of work in front of us so try popping those away if you can so that they are out of sight. Um, so you can get a proper break. Um, 
we're so aware that so many of us have been using the kitchen table to work where we might be going on to have our Christmas dinner. Well, we don't want to be seeing our our work, um, you know, those documents that we've got lying around at the same time. So, you know, we need to think about these things. Previously, when we spoke, Hayley, you mentioned to me that we're often told what to do when we suffer with mental health, like speak to someone or get some fresh air and spend time with loved ones, but we're not told why. And I think that's really interesting because as humans, we do follow instruction really well, but don't often question it. So why are these things so important for us to do for our mental health? Well, I mean, as, as I um, mentioned to you when we were talking before, there are um, lots of campaigns that tell you, you know, this is what you what you need to do. You know, we need to talk about mental health. Um, but if we have a proper understanding about the why, we're far more likely to engage in it. Um, we're far more likely to take up these strategies. Um, so that's why we've always start very much from the premise about if we properly understand um, what is going on inside our brains, if we can understand the neuroscience behind it, um, if we understand that by certain, uh, by, by applying certain tools and techniques, we can actually change our neurochemical balance inside our brains, then we're far more likely to engage in certain um, activities that will help boost our mental health because we all have a responsibility um, for our own mental health. It fluctuates far more than our physical health and we can engage in certain things that will help improve it. So um, it's all very well saying, well, you need to talk about mental health, but if we don't understand how to do it or we don't really understand the principles behind it, it's very difficult to do it. It's um, Again, it's all very good saying, well, you need to do yoga and that will help your mental health. But if we don't understand why it helps our mental health mm. or, for example, mindfulness. So if we engage in mindfulness, well, we know that mindfulness boosts our levels of GABA and GABA is our anti-anxiety neurochemical. So that then makes us think, actually, that well, that makes sense. I feel much calmer after engaging in acts of mindfulness. And actually, mindfulness is not that difficult. Um, and it doesn't need to cost us anything. If we can explain that you know, by drinking water, just simply drinking water, keeping ourselves properly hydrated throughout the day, that boosts our levels of serotonin. And that is associated with our mood. That makes us feel much better. It helps boost our self-esteem then we're much more likely to engage in it. So it is connecting all of those components together. Um, and, and that really helps people engage in those activities. Yeah, I think we need to be taught more about this at school, because when you're young, you are told to do all these things. And everybody's seeing now everybody meditating and doing yoga, like you said, but you're not really understanding why you're doing it. Um, and I guess educating from a younger age would hopefully be the way forward for us all to understand that it's not just a fad, it's not just trendy or a cool thing to do, it does actually help and why it helps. But we are so good at looking after our external health, like going to the doctor if we break a bone or putting a plaster on if we have a cut, but we're not so good at looking after our internal mental health and what makes us who we are. Gavin, I'm interested to know why do you think that is? Do you think it's because we're embarrassed to talk about it and embarrassed to go to the doctor because it's not a physical injury? I, I think there's a certain lack of understanding, a certain naivety that we don't actually understand mental health nearly nearly as much as we do understand physical health. You know, as, as young children, we were taught maybe four or five years old that we had to brush our teeth and we had to do that mm. twice a day. 
if I put to you is you don't brush your teeth for a month, see what happens, you wouldn't dream of not doing it. Mm. However, when it comes to mental health, we're not taught as young children how to look after, after ourselves mentally or emotionally or psychologically. You know, as young children, if we get a cut on the finger, we know what to do. We wash it, we put antiseptic on it, we put a plaster on it. If we experience rejection as a young child, nobody teaches how to deal with rejection or disappointment or those small emotional injuries that we might suffer. So I think there's a, there's a whole analogy that people have got to start understanding mental health much more alongside their physical health. You know, even as adults, we know that if we get a flu in the winter, we can self-diagnose, we can self-treat, we know what medicines to actually use to help us with the flu virus. However, if we start to feel sad in the winter, what do we do? We don't understand how to self-diagnose. And there's a very big, depre- a very big difference between sadness and depression. Very big difference. Mm. But when we're feeling sad or have a couple of days feeling down because it's miserable outside and we're not getting daylight, we just feel sad. Are we able to self-diagnose? Are we able to self-treat? Well, yes, we are. But to do that, we need a better understanding of mental health. Referring back to the science that Haley's been talking about, referring back to those evidence-based clinical principles on how we can actually make our feel, make ourselves feel better. So I think the more we understand about it, the more we can actually get that analogy with physical health, the more we can do about it to protect, maintain, but also restore our mental health if we're not feeling so great. Obviously, that is the best thing for when people are struggling with their mental health to go and talk to a professional or a trained expert. But when you spot some mental health problems, uh, see if you you think your friend is struggling with their mental health and they haven't yet spoken to a professional, how would you advise people to go about approaching them without making them feel attacked at uh, by by saying, are you OK? Because sometimes it can be quite um it can be quite a difficult topic to bring up to a friend or a loved one. Do you know what? It's it's so important that we just reach out. Um, and we, whenever we go into organisations to, um, to to talk to people about this, um, we we you know this is part of the uh, training that we deliver. We actually say um, often the thing that holds people back is they're very worried about what if I offend somebody? What if I say the wrong thing? Actually. It's more important to show people that you care. So if your intuition is telling you, if you just think, you know, um, we have a saying, it's it's not necessarily that something's wrong, but maybe something's just not quite right. So if that's your uh, intuition, maybe you think there's a friend, a loved one, somebody you work with, and they just don't quite see themselves. Do reach out. Just sort of say, you know, I, I just noticed you're not quite being yourself lately. Is everything okay? Um, then you know, the person might say to you, no, I'm, do you know what, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. Everything's all right, thanks. Um, then all you need to say is, okay, that's, that's fine. Well, you know, I'm always here for you. If ever you want to have a chat, I'm always here. Because that way you're just letting them know that you are there. And it might be that the first time you make that approach, they're not quite ready to have that chat. But at least they know that you are there. It may be that 
that you're not the right person for them to talk to. Maybe you've not quite got that sort of close relationship. So you might want to say, um, well, no worries at all, but, you know, um, I'm always here for you. But, you know, don't forget also Gavin's there for you too. So, um, you know, he'd always be there if you fancy a chat too. So there are kind of ways that if somebody comes back to you and, you know, does that classic, no, no, I'm fine, that we can always just sort of let them know that we'll always be there another time for them if we just want to plant that seed. If we're really worried about them, then we might just sort of say, okay, no no problem. Uh, should, we, should we catch up maybe next week? So that's what I would say to somebody if I was really quite worried that um, I just felt they needed to be, you know, I wanted to catch up with them at a, another point in time, um, just to make sure that they knew I cared. I would rather um, reach out to somebody and say, you know, how are you doing? And then say, no, I'm fine. Um, than to to not ask. Um, because to not ask and then later find out that somebody was struggling, I would I would find that very difficult. And uh, Gavin, I don't know if there's any you want to add on that point. No, I, I think absolutely bang on, Hayley. I think, you know, early in- interventions we now actually make for earlier recovery pathways. And Whilst I absolutely, you know, we're obviously 100% in terms of clinical responsibility and the role of professionals, any one of us can provide emotional support to a friend or colleague. And it's just knowing that how and why, again, rather than what. And, you know, we're always told it's good to talk. Of course, it's good to talk. But how do you do that? How do you raise the conversation? What aspects of the conversation do you need to think about? But also why? And it's those compassionate conversations, actually, that come back to our brain chemistry. Having a good quality, compassionate conversation, it rebalances, it contributes to the feel-good chemicals, whilst at the same time, it starts to subdue those that put us at risk. And that's the power of conversations. Mm, And I think that's so important, what you both said there, just showing your support and that you're there for your friends and your work colleagues. I want to speak to you about bringing your whole self to work. That is what the full picture is about. And Gavin, I've noticed, uh, I guess, throughout my whole life (laughs) that men do struggle to talk about their feelings a lot more than women do. And with all the brilliant work that you're doing with wellbeing, mental health and going into workplaces, have you noticed that that is a big problem that the men don't like to speak up? And I guess from a male perspective, why do you think that is and how can we tackle that problem? Wow, big question. <laughs> I, I think, first of all, I think this goes way beyond just mental health. Um, you know, we've, we've seen a lot over this year in terms of diversity inclusion and indeed previous years. But I think bringing your whole self to work is much more than just mental health. It comes, it comes down to our cultures and the colour of our skin and everything else that we're about because we're all individual. And I guess Hayley and I are massive advocates of bringing your whole self to work. I think generally there's a fearfulness, a fearfulness of conversations. And I think that's both from the person who is talking, but also the person on the other side of the conversation as well, knowing the right things to say, um, knowing what's acceptable. And I think one of the things that we've got to learn as a society and workplaces is, is to have those conversations. There needs to be permissions to make mistakes. There needs to be understanding that actually the wrong words might be used at the wrong time. It's not because we're meaning to be offensive. It's just we're naive to those conversations. So it's the same for a wide range of subjects. And I think it's the same for mental health. I think what we've seen over the last three years is a massive development, a massive progress 
you know, when we started three and a half years ago, it, men, workplace mental health was was not, you know, it was not a subject of conversation. And we've seen some transformations, cultural transformations in the organizations we've been working with and working for over the last three years that it, their, their cultural landscape has changed dramatically. And some of these are really hardcore communications companies where we've seen massive change, such as Colt. Um, you know, traditionally, it's hardcore, it's hard sales and everything that goes with it. Actually, a lot more compassion is cre- creeping into the cultures of organizations um, of, of these types is, I guess, the things we see. Haley, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing, um, you know, the organisations we've been working with where there's been a, a huge organisational shifts um, and and it is making such a real difference, um, it, particularly when you see it being led um, from the top and cascaded down throughout the organisation. Um, so it, it, it is making a huge difference. Um, I know that we, we do talk historically about how men have found it very difficult to open up and we know about, um, very tragically, um, the suicide rates uh, in, in men are, are much greater. Um, it is something that we, we have to uh, continually work out. You know, Gavin and I work um, passionately in the area about suicide prevention. Uh, and um, as you know, uh, Gavin is a, a Samaritan's listening volunteer and trainer, actually. Um, but it... It is something um, that we we have to work at. Uh, we need to work at it with our children. Um, we need to lead by example. Um, but it, it is uh, about a, a continual um, change. Um, we talk about incremental change. Um, so, you know, by continually um, working at these things, we can uh, create that change. And it is about generational change too. Moving into the festive season, mental health is a really big topic, especially because of COVID. And it's been a very lonely year for people with families not being able to see each other. So I'd be interested to know from both of you, what would be your advice to people to do when they are feeling lonely, sad, and not in the festive spirit like others might be? And also the guilt around not feeling festive when their friends and family might be feeling very jolly and ready for Christmas, but you're sat there thinking that's the last thing that I'm excited about. I'll, I'll start with you, Gavin. What advice would you give? I think it's people not to be so hard on themselves. They've, they've got to be forgiving of themselves and kind to themselves. You know, there are certain things we can do to look after ourselves to actually boost the feel-good chemicals and counteract those negative emotions and it does come down to the basics like getting outside and getting daylight getting a little bit of exercise even if it is just to walk around the block i think loneliness is going to be a key issue this christmas especially considering the last 10 11 months we've had in the uk that we've all been isolating and social distancing and we know that has severely impacted on oxytocin levels which is the human bonding chemical and we're now at Christmas and in previous years, maybe we have spent it with family and friends and we can't do that. And I guess we also know that Christmas is a tough time for many people. So it is just about being there. It's reaching out to people that maybe you think might be struggling a little bit. Um, for those people that are struggling, troubling, it's putting that little bit of effort into actually reaching out because there are things we can do and taking actions to look after themselves, making sure that we are kinder to ourselves as well as others. We know that acts of kindness is very, very good for our mental health. So I think um, there are a number of things we can do. So um, we've all got a little bit, um, you know, it can be a little bit difficult to just sit on a, um, 
you know, a Zoom platform or things like that. So there, we have to be a bit more creative about how we use it. So one of the ways we can do it is we can um, set up a FaceTime in the kitchen whilst we're preparing meals, for example. And that way we can integrate those family members who maybe we ordinarily would be spending time with at this time of year, just in the general chaos, uh, if it's only like my kitchen, um, you know, whilst we're doing things in the kitchen. And that way it's a little bit less intense than just sat looking at the screen. Um, we can even do that whilst we're having our meals or even whilst we're playing a game. Um, you know, so it's a way of sort of trying to bring members who might we might be physically separated from at this time of year into our homes. Um, we can even, you know, whilst we're out on a walk, we can grab a headset and do sort of walk and talk. So we can pick up the phone to somebody who we might know is is feeling a little bit um, on their own. Um, maybe they are just, you know, spending Christmas all alone. That might be a way to just connect with them. Um, just pick up the phone because we are spending a lot of time on video calls at the moment. And it can be quite draining um, to us to spend all that time on video calls. Um, there are lots of different ways we can also, as Gavin said, about um, being kind. So um, we, we're very fixated on the coronavirus at the moment and we keep talking about how um, we need to keep the R ratio down to one and how contagious it is. But kindness is highly contagious. So there was a big study and it actually showed um, that for every one act of kindness you engage in, it will impact on 125 other people. So its R ratio is five. It's highly contagious. Um, so it just goes to show that, and it doesn't have to be, you know, huge financial um, acts of kindness, just little things that we can all do um, for each other around this time of year. Um, so the Dalai Lama says, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. So we can also think about being a bit more kinder to, to ourselves. We need to practice self-compassion too. So if at this time of year you are finding it a bit hard and you're struggling a bit with that self-guilt, um, then just as Gavin said, be a little bit kinder to yourself maybe engage in some self-care um, so take a little bit of time out to to look after yourself um, think about those things that you like to do um, and just take a bit of time out for that this podcast is all about bringing your whole self to work as we've mentioned so many times already what is one thing that your colleagues don't know about you Ooh, well let's just say uh the most of them will not know that i've been uh, a surfer for about 30 years now uh, wow so, really yeah i've been surfing uh i mean i've been in indonesia sri lanka california i've been surfing all my life almost so uh, wow! Yeah. Did you used to compete? I've I've been a I've doing a, a couple of contests, but not uh, nothing nothing really mentionable, to be honest. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to share something that I didn't know about me until this morning. Um, oh, okay. Kaylee <laughs> has requested that she can use some garage space for a little present she's buying for her 17 year old daughter that needs storage for uh, a month or so. So I went in the garage to clear it out, 
and sort out some space. And it turns it actually turns out I've got seventeen bicycles. In my <laughs> oh my goodness, seventeen! And, <laughs> and they're all mine. I mean, you do say like exercise, and that helps with your mental health. Yeah. So you obviously love exercise. That you got seventeen bikes. I love bikes. Wow. I, never, I never counted up seventeen before, and I don't know where they came from. I was going to say, how, how did you not realise that you had 17 bikes? That's quite a lot of bikes to miss and to not be able to count. I, I know I had quite a few. I mean, they, they do, kind of, they do. I guess, I've been picking them up over the last 20 years and I never realised it had got to 17, which they were very different at the moment. So. Um, my, yeah, so mine is that actually before I became a clinical psychologist, I originally wanted to be a pilot. Um, yeah, only it was such uh, such a long time ago. Um, and uh, but I was too short uh, because in those days there there weren't really uh, many female pilots. Um, but every time, and you can tell how long ago this was, because I would always uh, try and wheedle my way up into the cockpit of. Um, the flights that we would go on. Uh, I was desperate to become a pilot uh, and I was frantically saving could I get my private, I could have obviously got my PPL, uh, but I wanted to be a commercial pilot at the time. Um, and I I very secretly, very briefly, got to fly a 747 for about a minute. I was allowed to have the controls. <laughs> and I was um, I was 19 years old at the time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the full picture do leave us a review and tell us what you learned from this episode and subscribe to hear more we'll be taking a short break over the christmas period but join us in 2021 for episodes on neurodiversity the experiences of women in the workplace and creating a multi-generational workforce see you next year